I was talking to my mother the, this week, and she broke down crying at the end of the conversation. She's lost a lot these last few months. But what breaks her and brings her to tears is the goodness of God in the midst of the trouble. And I was just telling her, you know, God's been so good, and Janet and I are happy and serving the Lord, and he's met every need through all these months. And she started to cry. And I discover that my own heart is moved most in these days by the powerful, wonderful, consistent, ever-present love of God in the midst of everything. It sustains us, comforts us, and gives us peace to know He loves us, that Jesus paid it all, even when trouble and sorrow come. This morning's message is very, very practical. It's about launching your sight, about getting out there in the mix of things, about you discovering what God is calling you to do in the world and then just stepping out to do it. That's what it's about. It's John chapter 2, the story of the wedding in Cana of Galilee. If you go to Cana today, and it's not very close to Galilee, it's kind of, or to the Sea of Galilee, it's kind of out inland some. If you go there today, you will see the words of this text on the walls of buildings as you drive through Cana. Show us that picture again. This is a picture or the, the, the picture right there. Yeah, the one that's on the back wall. On the third day, there was a wedding at Canaan Galilee. I took that picture out the, the window with the bus while I was in Cana. And the wedding at Cana is the theme for tourism there, everywhere you go. The scripture says in verse 1 of John chapter 2, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding 
from 20 to 30 gallons. Here's a picture of a replica from Cana in Galilee. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned to wine. He did not realize where it had come from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This the first of his mighty signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee he thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him a remarkable text about the first mighty sign that the Savior did. Concluding with the statement, his disciples put their faith in him. So for everybody in the room now, as we rehearse this account of the first miracle of our Lord, I want you to know where we're headed to put our faith in him. That's where we're headed. I don't know if the single man Jesus who is 30 years old and all of his disciples are comfortable at wedding receptions. I know they're comfortable when they're kicking around the Sea of Galilee and going through the meadows. I know they're comfortable when they scramble into a fishing boat and head out into the Sea of Galilee. I know they're comfortable sitting on rocks and walking up mountainsides, but I don't know how comfortable they are going to wedding receptions. But if you're going to launch your sight and do what the Father's calling you to do, you've got to get out of your nest you got to go where it's not so comfortable you have to step out into the world that may be not so familiar to you or maybe an approach or a walk or a presence or a style 
that you didn't naturally assume when you were a child and a teenager, but now as the Lord calls you to be an ambassador in his world, as he calls you to be deployed for a purpose every day that you live, everywhere that you go, he's asking you to change your presence in the world. And that can be uncomfortable, but that's okay. You got to get out of the, the nest, the familiar spot, the place where you're settled down in the easy chair in front of the TV, where you know every angle and everything's in its place. You got to leave that spot if you're going to do what Jesus calls you to do, if you're going to be deployed into the world, you say, well, that's, that's a scary thing to me, going to a wedding reception. Jesus probably knew the people there, or lots of them. I don't know that Peter and Andrew knew them. I think this could be new territory for them. I'm not sure how many they knew in Cana. One of the things that the devil does to you is he isolates you and says, you're the only one. You're the only one who cares. You're the only one who loves. You're the only one who's trying. Why should I keep trying? I'm the only one. And he tells you that over and over again. You're all by yourself. You're just sometimes like Elijah. In that cave on the mountain after, after Mount Carmel, God calling him out and saying, Elijah, what are you doing here? And he's saying, I'm the only one. They killed them all. I'm the only one left. Lord, just take my life. Part of the discouragement and sorrow, disappointment and frustration, and even despair of the human, of the human journey and the Christian journey is thinking that you are isolated and alone and the devil wants you in that spot. So I got a suggestion for you. When you deploy into your world, when you launch your sight, when you follow Jesus into this new dimension that he leads you into, take a few friends. Take a few friends. Peter's not by himself at the wedding. He's got Andrew. You don't have to go it on your own. In fact, that's what the church of Jesus Christ is about. Amen? Hey, you're not alone in this city seeking to do what's right and serve God and make a difference. You're not by yourself. There are literally thousands of people who are seeking to live out faithfully their calling in this city. And we can help one another. So when Jesus goes to the wedding and everybody gets out of their comfort zone a little bit, they take a few friends to hang out with at the wedding. It's always a joy to have a yoke fellow with you. Somebody to pray with, for instance. Have you got anybody to pray with? Suppose the Lord has asked you to deploy in a new way into your workplace. And he's asked you to carry the light. And maybe you're going to challenge some customs, traditions, some systems, some ways of operating. Have you got somebody who prays for you? Every week. When people tell me we're praying for you, I tell them we are sustained by the prayers of God's people. 
Do you know I've made it a practice now for these 30 years to have a couple of folks with whom I pray every week. We share our hearts. We talk to one another. We express what's on our agenda, on our plate, in our lives. And we pray for each other. I do that because I need it, and I know I need it. I need somebody to pray with. You are not by yourself, deliberately and on purpose. Find somebody to pray with. Find a partner. Who they, maybe you can talk to them on the phone once a week. Maybe, maybe you can meet them uh, for a few minutes somewhere and pray with them. And tell them how you're doing, how you feel, how you're hurting, what you need. Let them pray for you. You don't have to do this alone. And you can, if you look, find people in your world and in your orbit who can be co-workers and co-laborers and join you shoulder to shoulder and arm in arm as you seek to attack the darkness in the place where you live and the place where you work. If you're going to launch your site, you've got to get out of your nest. Take a few friends. Listen to your mother. <laughs> How do you like Jesus' mother here? A powerful lady, I'd say, wouldn't you? Theologians have been unpacking what Jesus' mother does and says here for 2,000 years, and still, it's a mystery. She tells Jesus, they have no more wine. And Jesus knows she's pulling his chain. Dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. That seems pretty clear, right? Doesn't that smack of reluctance to you? I guess there was something in the body language of Jesus or maybe the smile on his face. I don't know what it was, but as soon as Jesus expresses this apparent reluctance, his mother turns to the servants and says, whatever he says to you, do it. Now, I assume if you turn to the servants, you're turning away from your son. They have no more wine. Mother, my time has not come. Why are you involving me? Whatever he says to you, do it. That's mom, isn't it? Is that your mother? Did she tell you the truth? Did she put any pressure on you? Have you ever looked at the last chapter of the book of Proverbs? There's a fellow there named King Lemuel in Proverbs 31. He decides to tell the world the most important things he knows. He's going to put his wisdom down. You know what it is? The stuff his mother taught him. You read it. It's there. These are the things my mother taught me. Mother identifies a socially embarrassing moment for the host. She communicates to her son. It may not be on anybody else's radar, but it's on Mary's radar. And it's a pending disaster for the family that's hosting this feast. 
Mary has a sensitivity to it. And I want to tell you something about Mary. She only wants what's best for her boy. That's her heart. That's her heart. And I know all mothers don't fall into that category, unfortunately, but I know most do. They just want what's best for you. They don't come with lots of baggage or selfish agendas, usually. They want you to be the best you can be. They have dreamed about your potential since the day they knew they were carrying you in their womb. They held you in their arms for the first time and thanked God for you and thought, now what will this little boy, this little girl do in the world? Listen to your mother. For most of you, it's an important word. Get involved. Jesus gets involved. Mary encourages him. Maybe Mary pushes him. But Jesus gets involved. It's time for us as the church of Jesus Christ to stop thinking that somebody else is going to do it. It's time for us to stop saying that's the government's job. That's the police force's job. It's time for us to stop backing up and start charging in. Do you get my drift when Jesus said, I will build my church? He was not thinking of a defensive church barricaded away somewhere behind high walls protecting it from a lost world and an unholy world. He was thinking about people who armed with the Word of God sent out as lambs among wolves would charge into the world and the gates of hell would not prevail against them. Amen. Thank you, Lord. That's what he was thinking. The gates of hell cannot prevail against you. Another lie the devil tells. They're, they're stronger than us. They're bigger than us. Their walls are higher than ours. And we can't do it. We've looked out the land. We went and watched where you want us to go, God. And it's too hard. They're too strong and the task is too difficult and we can't do it. And that kind of report and that kind of attitude will creep into your heart as God says, get involved. And you respond, I, I just don't think it's a good idea. I think they'll leave us lying on the carpet and that's okay. If you lay down your life for the sake of the gospel, you've done just what Jesus did. If it costs you everything you've got, you've not paid any more than your master paid. It's all right if it's costly, if it's difficult. But it's not all right for the church of Jesus Christ to back out of the challenge and let somebody else do it, I'm telling you. 
The world needs the love of God unleashed. When you think about the problems of our city, you know this city needs the love of God unleashed. This city needs an army of people who will not compromise, will not back down, and will not quit who keep going on the offensive at the assault of the gates of hell. That's what the city needs. I'm not giving up on this place that God called me to serve. I want us to, to go forward expecting that God will work. Get involved. Don't drop back. Move forward. You say, well, what do you mean get involved? I can't change water into wine. I mean, Jesus changed the water into wine. Here's what I want to tell you now. I want you to catch it, okay? Get involved like the servants got involved. You're representing Jesus, but I know... You're not Jesus. You're one of his servants. So here's how I want you to get involved. Get involved like the servants get involved. Jesus says to the servants, fill the jars with water. What's he saying to you? Do you see what an opportunity exists in this social setting for the power of God to be manifested? Who would have thought it? Do you see how Jesus is going to do it? Not by calling the host, not by calling the master of the banquet and saying, hello now, we've run out of wine, I am going to fix the problem and thereby declare my glory. It's not how he does it. Jesus doesn't tell the soul. He just says to the servants, fill the jars with water. Now, I don't know who these servants are, but they did it. Have you ever drawn 120 gallons from a well? How many of you have? How about 10? Hey, this is not easy work. Draw out these 120 gallons and fill these pots up. But the servants are going to listen to the instruction, the simple instruction, almost the simplistic instruction of the Lord, and they're going to fill these pots, not half full, not almost full. They're going to fill it to the brim. That's what I want you to do now. This is how you launch your site. This is how you deploy into the world. This is how you initiate the new era. You just fill the jar to the brim. I don't know what that means. It means maybe that you're the fella who stays 10 minutes after work to clean up after everybody else. Maybe that's all it means. And maybe the thing God tells you to do, you're tempted to say, What? What? Fill these pots up. Why? That's hard work. Fill it up with water? What's the point? I can hear the servants bantering with Jesus. 
protesting and saying, I don't want to do that. Wait a minute, Jesus. Fill these pots with water? Why? We're always looking for the great thing. We're like Naaman the leper. He wants to be cured of his leprosy. And the prophet says to him, all you got to do is dip seven times in the muddy Jordan. What? Hey, I don't want to do that. You know who I am? I mean, do you know who I am? Think I'm going to jump in that muddy river? I mean, I thought you were going to make me do some dramatic thing and call the power down from heaven and lightning bolts. And the servant of Naaman says, Hey, if it was something hard, wouldn't you do it? So if God calls you, and he does, to a simple demonstration of obedience, you fill the jar to the brim. That's what you do. You do it the finest it's ever been done. You do it till that little clay pot, that little rock jar can hold no more water. You do it to the maximum of your ability. Whatever this thing is, you do it. And you expect God to show up. Expect that God will show up now. There are a hundred different things that the Holy Spirit is bringing to the minds and hearts of believers in this room right now. Such simple things and things you've been tempted to do before and thoughts that you had before and ideas that you rejected and the Holy Spirit convicts and he says, I wanted you to do that and you backed away from it because you thought it wouldn't work. There are all kinds of things that he's saying to you and it all amounts to fill the jar with water. Until you obey, you will not see God unleashed in your world. We got to obey. If he calls us to fill up the water pots, that's what we got to do. It is no great and grand scheme that is going to send the tremors of power and love through this community. But individual believers joining hands with others to obey in the simple task of loving, caring, showing compassion, and bearing witness to the Christ who changed our lives. This is where we are. This is where we live. This is what we must do. Simple obedience to the thing He has spoken. The servants carry the water turned to wine to the master. And the master says, You've saved the best till now. God's going to do such a wonderful work through you as you just obey. But I have to tell you, in the words of Jesus, Mother, 
whatever he says to you. Do it. Do it. You can talk yourself out of filling a jar or calling a friend or talking to the boss. You can talk yourself out of whatever God's called you to do. Or you can say, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me as you have said. The words of Mary, when the angel said to her, you're going to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And this woman said, I am the Lord's servant. And now she says to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. I challenge you to do it as well. Let's bow together. So what is God speaking? What is God saying? You've got to listen. It's God's responsibility to speak and your job to listen. Let's have a listening moment. Lord, speak to us. Open our ears to your voice. Open our eyes to the need. Get us in motion to serve. Help us to place our faith in you. Not just to be saved, but to live this life day by day. Lord, help us to trust you. I pray for people in this room who may have stutter-stepped at a moment of decision. Too long. The window may be passing. Lord, help them to obey. God, I pray that we will obey to the best of our ability every word that we hear spoken from your mouth. In Jesus' name, amen.